Start building the home of your future today. Smart Home. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. We have these devices. I bet you all have one or you know somebody who has one. And these now are called smartphones, right? They used to just be phones, mobile phones. Remember the brick phones? These things you could build a house with it and then talk on the phone with it. And now, because you can connect to so many different places, it's like a pocket computer. It's a smartphone. Now, I don't know how smart it really is, but let's just find out. Siri, are you really all that smart? Hmm, that's something I don't know. See, not, not all that smart. One thing about these devices is they're sort of turning us into zombies. I know you've noticed that when you go into places, restaurants, places of business, you'll see people glued to the screen. You'll see them driving glued to the screen or walking down the street because they know their peripheral vision can tell if something big is coming their way. And if not, they can use the time to look at the screen and uh, it can become problematic. And then there's the people who will talk to you. And while they're talking to you, they've got their phone in their hand. And it's like, uh, they're, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, well, that's very interesting. And then it's the slow head down. It's like, yeah, yes, right. And so they're just sort of preoccupied with it. And then uh, a lot of us know the panic that seizes us when we misplace our smartphone. It's like the world has now officially come to an end. I cannot find my phone. How can I communicate and, and live my next few minutes of life? And... Um, then we get upset if we text somebody, but they don't text us back. We, we read into that. Why aren't they texting me back? What's the deal? And are they mad at me? I mean, all of the, 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 the emotion that comes along with that. Then the warm fuzzies when they do text us back. It's like, okay, oh, everything's good again. And if they make a call, we're especially happy until we find out it's a pocket call. And they didn't really mean to call us in the first place. Sometimes you get the feeling that the phone might be smart, but it's making us dumb. You may have heard the one about the guy who went to the doctor and both sides of his face were burned. And the doctor said, what happened? He said, I, um, the phone rang, my iPhone rang. I was ironing my tie and I mistakenly picked up the iron instead of my iPhone. The doctor said, that explains one side, but why both sides of the face? He goes, well, the jerk called me back again. The last few years, the technology that's on your phone has been translated into the home. There are now smart homes. And what that is, is you can, with this device or a computer, you can control the environment in your home. You can tie it all to the Internet and you can um, control lights and clocks and doorbells and speakers in your sound system and window blinds and garage doors and thermostats and hot water heaters and now refrigerators are smart or so they say so you can control all those things by a voice command in an app or by pushing a button in an app now i know that with every rise of new technology there's always some christians who swear it's the mark of the beast but the intention that the designers have is to make life easier for you 
Well, we, we're doing a series called Smart Home. And the subtitle is Building Your Home of the Future. What we are doing is consulting God's blueprint to find out how relationships in the home should function. Now, why are we doing this? Because over the past history of this church, I have talked on this issue before. Well, number one, um, we're doing it because home is the foundation of society. It's, it's, um, it's the heart and soul of any society. All societies were built on the home. And if the home gets destroyed, you are effectively undermining society. So we're doing it because the home is foundational. A second reason we're doing this series is because though society does need the home, at the same time society is attacking the home. Society itself, though it desperately needs strong home units, is sending out signals to redefine or reconfigure or challenge the traditional home. Uh, Some are saying that the home, the family, is outdated. We need to move on and get over it and not celebrate it. And a lot of these new ideas about human relationships are being taught in universities. So effectively, we're training future leaders to undermine what has made our society great to begin with. third reason I'm doing this is because I have discovered over the years that that one overarching area that Christians struggle with the most happens to be in the home. And because they don't know the clear understanding of God's blueprint, they look for answers in the unbelieving world, the counterpart in the unbelieving world. They're emulating the worldly counterparts. So I want us to get smarter. I want us to get smarter at relationships. I want us to get smarter at dating and smarter at picking a mate and smarter at maintaining a marriage, smarter at blending families, if that's the situation you find yourself in. Uh, Smarter at recovering after a breakdown and a divorce. Smarter at being single again. Smarter at remarriage. And so we call it a smart home. Today we start where we ought to start, and that is the very foundation itself. And that would be consulting the architect, God, the architect who gave the blueprint. Now, I don't know if we have any architects in the house with us, but I have heard from friends of mine who are architects. They said, you know what the frustrating thing about being an architect is? is people who come to you and ask you to design a home for them, but you discover they've already designed it. And they just want your hand on the pen and they'll tell you where to put it. And they want, they want to design it. And I, he goes, I love their input, but it's hard for me to design what they've already designed and then just to put my stamp of approval on it. In Psalm 127, we have a poem, a psalm, five verses. But notice what it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain or for nothing. It is vain or useless, futile for you to rise up early and sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. 
Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. Now when it says house, unless the Lord builds the house, it's not speaking about a physical structure. It's not speaking about a building. It's speaking about what happens inside the building, and especially those who are in the building. It's speaking about a home. Sometimes the Old Testament will use the word house as a synonym for what goes on inside of it, the home, the family life. And that is the idea here. Now, you'll notice that the psalm begins even before verse 1. It has a little superscription above it that says, A song of ascents. Do you read that? A song of ascents of Solomon. So we believe Solomon wrote this psalm, not David, but David's son, Solomon. He wrote it. And a song of ascents, there are 15 Old Testament psalms that are called songs of ascent. They're short psalms. And they're called psalms of ascent because we believe that when the children of Israel ascended the hill up to Jerusalem, that they had memorized these and sang them as a family, as a group, as they were going to worship in the temple. Also, once they got to the temple, there was an outer temple and an inner temple, an outer courtyard, and it was separated by a raised platform of 15 steps, upon which stood the Levites who sang the songs of ascents antiphonally. One would sing one part, one would sing the other part, and that filled the temple of God and the worship of God's people. So because Solomon wrote it, some have mistakenly said, well, this is a psalm about the city of Jerusalem and the house of the Lord, the temple. It is not. Because if you keep going on, it talks about a man and a wife having children that happen to be from the Lord and they launch them. So the city and the house that he speaks of is essentially a synonym for the home. That's what this is. Psalm 127 is a poetic expression of a family that depends on God. That's a smart home. A family that depends on God. Now, a smart home, according to this psalm, has four elements. And I have taught on this psalm on a number of occasions, but I'm looking at it differently, and I'm outlining it differently. So the four elements are the designer, the builders, the dwellers, and the enjoyers. And there is some overlap. Let's begin with the designer. Look at the third word in, in verse 1. And what word is that? Lord. That's how it begins. Unless the Lord builds the house. So the psalm begins highlighting God. Why? Because he is the very one who thought up the idea of the home. That's why. It was God who in Genesis 2 said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper that is suitable for him. It is the Lord who, it says, brought the woman to the man. I've always loved that verse. God is like the father of the bride giving away the bride. The Lord brought the woman to the man. So the home was God's idea. Marriage was God's idea. The family was God's idea. Society was God's idea. In fact, love was God's idea. Where did the whole concept of love originate? God. 
In Jeremiah 31, God tells the children of Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love. What that means is, before you were even born, before you even knew what love was, I was there planning for you and loving you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. In the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, it says, We love Him because He what? First loved us. He began with love. Same chapter says, God is love. Same chapter said, love is of God. So it's important that we realize that God had this idea to begin with of love, marriage, home, family. It was all his, uh, his idea. You never read in the Bible, now in the course of time, man had the bright idea of a way to get a good tax break. So he married a woman, had a bunch of kids, and life was good. It always begins with God. Now, why is, why is that important? I'm stating the obvious. Why am I doing that? For this reason. If it was man's invention, then man can regulate it. If it was man's invention, then man can tamper with it. If it was man's invention, then he can nullify it, he can tweak it, he can redefine it all he wants. But because it was God's idea, it is subject to God's principles. Because it was God's idea, as Jesus said concerning marriage, what God has joined, let no man separate. It was his idea. Now, something else. Notice the word Lord. If you look at it, what's odd about it? It's all in, it's in all what? Capitals. Whenever you read that in your Old Testament, that's significant. It's not a general word for Lord. It is uh, not a generic name. It's the covenant name. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D would probably be pronounced in Hebrew Yahweh or Yahweh. We don't exactly know how it's pronounced because we are left with Hebrew consonants only. It's called the Tetragrammaton. But that's the personal name of God. That's how God introduced himself to Moses when Moses said, okay, I'll be your spokesperson, but... Who do I say sent me? What's your name? And God said, I am who I am. I am who I am. That's his name. Yahweh, the becoming one, uh, the immutable one. It describes his character. I'm bringing this up because that's the Lord whose idea it was. The covenant Lord who loves people and established a covenant with people in turn designed a covenant for people so that on a human level, that love can spread. So, he's the designer of the home. He's the divine architect. He is the great blueprint maker. And that's significant in any home, in any relationship. When I was first engaged and my wife and I went through my fiancé at the time, went through a marriage prep. Uh, we were given a book, a little workbook, and there was one little diagram that I came across that was very instructive to me. It's very basic. And you'll go, oh, yeah, I know that stuff. I've been there. But, but to me, it was revolutionary. It was so simple, and I, I needed simple. I'm a guy who needed simple. So it was a little triangle drawn in this book, and the triangle said, this is a Christian relationship. 
The top of the triangle, the pinnacle said God, the bottom said husband, the other bottom said wife. And the author was trying to get a very important point across, is that the closer you both individually come to God, the closer you get to each other. You strengthen the bond by seeking the Lord. And I'll never forget that. And that's been a principle, a driving principle of our relationship. Now, because it was God's idea, then it's really no wonder that the Bible will often highlight this theme over and over again. The Bible is a prominent biblical theme. It exalts the home. God has a lot to say about it. In both the Old and the New Testament, this thread gets woven over and over again. There's instruction, there's examples, both good and bad. It's all through the text of Scripture. So it leaves us with two ways to build a home. Speaking of simple, let's get simple. Two ways to build a home. The smart way and uh, let's just say not so smart way. So you got the smart way and the not so smart way. What's the not so smart way to build a home? The not so smart way to build a home is you build it, you design it, and then you just sort of plop it down and ask God to bless it. That's not so smart. You come up with your own ideas, your own skill, your own knowledge, your own resources, and then you go, oh yeah, by the way, God, would you happen to bless my deal? That's not so smart. The smart way to build is to discover the design that the first designer already designed. You start with that. Because he invented it, he knows how to make it function at peak. When you do that, you start discovering the thrill that this psalm speaks of, of God at work in providing for your home and protecting your relationship. So that's the designer. Now let's consider the builders. And notice I put it in the plural. Builders. There's not just a builder. There are builders. Now you're thinking, wait a minute. The psalm says there's just a builder. The Lord. Well, keep reading. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor. Who are they? The ones in this home. So God is the builder. But it says they labor in vain who what? Build it. So God is building it and they are building it. So the psalm includes a divine builder, God, and human builders, human laborers, human watchmen. This verse is simply stating the idiocy of trying to go it alone in life, of trying to build it on your own. Because the person who does that is tired and unsuccessful. It's all in vain. They're spinning their wheels. They're not seeing the desired results. So this verse is sort of like Philippians 2, where Paul says, Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And then the next verse is, For it is God who works in you, both to will and do of His good pleasure. So both are true. God gives you the energy and the power, but He expects you to work at it. God works in you, but you still have to do the work. This is also like 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God or from God. All of that to say this. You'll never pull off the assignment of being a Christian husband without the Lord. 
You'll never be able to be the wife God wants you to be or the parent God wants you to be or successfully date a person without the Lord building with you. you got to build. But if you build without the Lord, that's not smart. So here's the big point of this. Life is lived at its best when you build alongside the Lord. Life is lived at its best when you build alongside the Lord. I love how 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1 begins. We then as workers together with Him. I like that approach. And that is the approach. Uh, The right approach to a home is not let go and let God. I've heard that for years. Just let go and let God. That's not the approach to building a home. Nor is it, I'll go without God. That's not smart. We should be saying, let's go, God. I'll go with God. You want to build. You want to put all you can into it. But you want to also acknowledge the divine architect. So a smart home begins by recognizing first who the designer is, the architect. Second, it includes the wisdom of building alongside the designer using his design. There's an old saying that says, little is much if God is in it. Little is much if God is in it. The reverse is also true. Much is nothing if God isn't in it. Now, the psalm goes on to describe what it is you're building. It enumerates relationships. That's what you are building in a home. A smart person will be all about building relationships. It's called a house and it's called a city at first, but these two words are pictures of edifying, building up, uh, providing for, and giving protection to the home, the home environment. Now, verse 3 elaborates on that. Look what it says. Behold. I I love verses that begin that way. Behold. It's such a biblical word. It probably would be best translated, hey, check this out. Or look at this. Or let me have your attention. Or we might say in our modern vernacular, put your phone down and listen to this. Behold. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Happy is the man. So, all of this is about building a family. Building relationships within the family. If you were to take your life down to its irreducible minimum, where there's just no more, just the nuts and bolts. You strip away your things, your home, your cars, your hobbies. You come down to just the basic components. What you have is a single word, relationships. Good or bad or stale or vibrant, but that's what you have, relationships. Now, notice that it says children are a heritage. It doesn't say children are an accident from the Lord. It doesn't say children are a curse from the Lord. Or it doesn't say children are an inconvenience from the Lord. Children are heritage. One translation says children are a gift from the Lord. 
In fact, one translation says, children are God's best gift. Now, I know every parent questions this. At some point of a child's development, usually the first few months is the first big question, and then teenage years is like the second time they question. Heritage? I don't know about that. But one source, and I like this, says that the word heritage should be translated assignment. Now think about this. Children are God's assignment. How are you doing with your homework? Your assignment. Your commission from God. Now so God knows exactly what personality of children to give to us, lend to us in that assignment. A lot of times we parents think, well, I am here to shape the destiny of my children. That's true, you are. You are. You are. But have you ever thought that your children are there to help shape your own personality and destiny? And though you might get frustrated with their personalities, um, God could be using them to shape you as well. So they're an assignment. And why are they so important? And why does he highlight this relational part of the home? It's simple. Children are the only earthly items you can take with you to heaven. You'll never take anything else. You can't take it with you, but them you can, so they're worth investing in. They're a reward. Then there's grandparenting, and that's where the reward is really realized. Because grandkids are a whole different level of enjoyment. Uh, Grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your children. (laughs) And what I love about grandkids, they're an assignment from the Lord, but they're not my assignment now. They're they're my son and daughter-in-law's assignment, but they're my grandkids. So I'll fill them with sugar and send them home and play with them and let them do whatever they want because I like to spoil them. Pure reward. So we looked at the designer and the builders. Now let's just take it a a deeper level. The dwellers. Shall we open the door and see who is in this home? Let's meet them. In verse 5, it says, happy is the what? The what? The man. So we got a man in this home. That's good. And we have somebody else. If you go back to verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb. So you have to have a wife, a a woman. That's where a womb comes from. So you got a man and his wife. And then the phrase before that, children. So you got a man and wife and children that comprise this home that is highlighted in the psalm. But there's more. Who else is mentioned in this psalm as being part of this unit? The Lord. Several times. In verse 1, the Lord builds... In the same verse, the Lord guards the city. You've got to be inside the city in order to guard the city. Also, you'll notice in verse 2, God is giving the inhabitants of this home sleep. It says, for so he gives his beloved sleep. So he's the Lord of the bedroom in this relationship. I'll press it even further. hope it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. He's the Lord of your sexual relationship. In fact, I know this to be true because verse 3 shows that God is responsible in part in the production of children. I mean, you've got to work at that, but God is the one who ultimately blesses that. It's a reward. Now, i just got to say, if you're unable to have children, we'll get to that at a future study. God has lots of creative ways to reward you. 
besides children. But in this case, God is rewarding them with that. So he is describing uh, the Lord as one who is involved in the production of children. That's how he is building the city. Here's the grand point I want to make here. The idea of a man, a wife, children, and the Lord in this home is simple. God wants to be part of every part of your life. God wants to be part of your family life. He wants to be in your kitchen. He wants to be in your dining room. He'd like to be in your living room, uh, your bedroom, your garage, your workroom, your home office, your entertainment room. He wants to be a part of it all. He didn't want to be regulated to, well, there's the Bible on the nightstand. It's the only time God is brought into our home or and on Sunday. He wants to be a part of every part of your life. I have a booklet that I got early on in my Christian walk called My Heart Christ's home. The author is Robert Boyd Munger. And he draws a picture he invite, of, of a man who invites Christ into his life, into his heart. And because Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, he pictures the heart as the home that he comes into. He wants to live inside of us. So he takes that idea and expands on it. So he said, I invited Jesus into my home, my heart. And uh, first we went into the library, and he looked around at what I was reading. He said, ah, we've got to change some of that. So he redecorated, and he changed the things I was reading, my reading material. He brought Jesus into the dining room, and he says, Jesus started changing my appetites and my desires. I took Jesus into the living room. He looked around and goes, I like this room. Let's spend a lot of time together here. You and I will fellowship. I took him into the workroom where Jesus said, I promise to help you in your work. I want to be a part of your career. And he finally said, I took him down to the entertainment room, the rec room. And he wanted to redecorate that as well. In the booklet, he says, then we went down into the entertainment room of the house and he transformed it. He brought into life real joy, real happiness, real satisfaction, new friends, new excitement, new joys. Laughter and music have been ringing through the house ever since. I love that. Laughter and joy have been ringing through the house ever since. I love the idea of the Lord being a part of every aspect in a family's life. question I have for you is, have you invited Him to be a part of every area in your home? Have you sincerely asked the Lord to help you launch these arrows, these children? Have you asked Him to give you a fulfilling sex life? Have you asked Him to balance your time of work and family? Have you asked Him to replace your appetites with better desires? As a young believer, I learned this lesson. I I had this weird idea at first that God was really only interested in me when I was sitting in church with my Bible open singing a psalm or a hymn or praying about missions. And that that was kind of the extent of it. It was a skewed way to look at God. If I was talking about theology, God liked that. But that's about it. But it was a warped way of thinking. I discovered that the Lord really wanted my fellowship in all aspects of my life, all areas He wanted to be brought into and be the Lord of. And I discovered that because I realized when Jesus was with His disciples, 
I mean, he ate with them. One time he even cooked them breakfast. I've always wondered what he cooked them. Besides the fish, I mean, I mean, did he spice it up? Did he add stuff with it? And was it medium rare? I mean, how did Jesus cook the breakfast? That's just kind of cool to think about. Uh, he spent time walking with them. He went fishing with them. A lot of different life activities. Then in the Garden of Eden, it says the Creator God was coming every day in the cool of the day to walk with His first human creations. Love that picture. So, when I discovered that, I decided I'm going to go to the beach and pray. And I went to the beach and I prayed, but this time I prayed for waves. I wanted to have fun. I wanted God to be part of the fun and I wanted Him to bless. It's His ocean. Just make some good shaped waves, Lord. And I prayed for it and the Lord answered and I spent a day on my surfboard rejoicing and having incredible fellowship with God, especially in between the waves that He gave me. But I took that way of thinking that this is fun and God wants to be a part of it into snowboarding and bicycling and motorcycling and dating my wife. Because 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, We are to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. The Lord wants you to enjoy life and enjoy Him in your life. So, the designer, the builders, the dwellers. Speaking of joy and enjoyment, let's end on this. The enjoyers, the enjoyers. I'll I'll explain. There's a single word in verse 5 I want to sort of isolate and then bring it back into context. It's the first word. What's the first word of verse 5? Happy. Asher in Hebrew means blissful, contented, satisfied. It could even be translated, oh, how happy. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. That's what a smart home will do. It makes happy people. It produces happiness. In fact, the whole psalm is a contrast between an unhappy person who is overworked and overconcerned, who spins his wheels day and night and really doesn't see any results, So he's not happy versus a happy person that the Lord blesses in verse 5. So verse 2 is somebody investing in activities but producing anxieties. And verse 5 is somebody who is investing in priorities and shaping destinies. And one is unhappy and unfulfilled and one is happy and fulfilled. The first is a house built on vanities. The second is a home built on values. And the contrast couldn't be clear. So those are two ways to do life. You can build projects. You can build people. The contrast here is you can build projects for temporal profit or you can build people for spiritual eternal profit. You can do both, but if you have to take one or the other, the second is more preferable. Now, it says in verse 5, happy is the man. And before you think, oh, great, God's all about making the man happy. The idea is that it begins with the man, but it, it's pervasive. It's, it's including everyone. The only reason the man is mentioned, and man is sometimes generic for the person, but sometimes it's speaking of the man in particular, and that is simply because thousands of years ago, all societies were patriarchal in nature. 
male-dominant in nature. And so it speaks of him or it speaks to him because he leads the home. That's all. It's like Joshua when he said, As for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. Now that implies I'm making the statement, but we as my family, we've all gotten together. We're all in on this. We have decided, they have decided along with me, that's what we're going to do. So I'm now making the statement as the head of the home. So happy is the man and happy is his wife and happy are the children and the grandchildren in this home. And they're happy because the Lord has designed it and the Lord has helped them build it. And the Lord has strengthened and provided for and protected this home. And they're happy because children were not only born into this home, but launched from this home. And you get to verse 5, you figure out they were launched successfully. And the children are making an impact in society. Notice this. And I really had never noticed this part before as I did this time. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They, who are they? The children here, they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies at the gate. In ancient times, the gate was the courtroom or the newsroom. It's the place where business was conducted. So the enemies at the gate, you have a child who has been raised up and is now able and articulate to defend against enemies that would seek to undo this home. The point being is the children have been launched like arrows. They've hit their target. They're making an impact. They're making a difference in their society. And I would say this. Not only is this home happy, but because they are happy and it's a a successful home with children who love and serve the Lord are making an impact in society, the neighbors are happier. The city is happier. It impacts everyone. So let me boil it down as we close. Our personal relationship with God, and now I'm just assuming you all have one. Our personal relationship with God should affect every relationship in our home. It should affect every relationship in our lives. The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, he founded the China Inland Mission said, if your father and mother, sister and brother, if the very cat and dog in the house are not happier for you being a Christian, then it's a question whether you really are. And that's a good way to end. Are you really? Have you met the architect? Do you know the architect? You can answer that by looking at a life. Is that person building according to the plans? Submitting their plans to him, walking in in honor of him. Let's go back to what Jesus said, using the motif of a home. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm knocking at the door. If you open the door and let me in, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. I'll have fellowship with you. Like that little booklet, I'll come in and invade your space. And Jesus would say to you, if you invite him into your life, he will share his life with you. If you invite him into your home, he will take you one day to his home. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That's the promise. Invite him into your life, your home, and live now according to his architectural plans. 
Father, we want to thank you for your word. It's clear. And uh, we love that, whether it's in a poetic fashion like Psalm 127 or a purely didactic fashion, a straightforward teaching instruction like in Ephesians 5, or you have good examples or bad examples, where we learn about how we're to get along and how we are to be able to blossom with each other. That's good in your eyes. You said it's not good that we are alone. You said it is good when we are together. You've designed us to be interactive. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us how to maximize our strengths and gifts in the homes that you have given us, that ours would be a smart home. And by that, giving you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Skip Heitzig of Calvary Church. How will you put the truths that you learned into action in your life? Let us know. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.